You are listening to The North Podcast, a ministry of Mount Perrin North in Marietta, Georgia. All right, I've got some bad news and some good news this morning. First of all, happy Father's Day. That's not bad or good. That's just, I mean, that's just good. Um, the bad news is, is that our pastor emeritus, Dr. Mark Walker, is not able to be with us this morning. Uh, he and Udella had some uh, circumstances arise this weekend that uh, prevented them from coming and kept them in Cleveland. Uh, but he sends his apologies. He sends his love and says that he uh, misses you, hopes to reschedule and be back with us soon. The good news is I am here and I'm actually preaching out of the same book that he was going to preach out of, the Bible. So, so there's that, you know, that, that, that could be good. Um, I do have a Father's Day message. It is geared towards dads. But one of the things I believe about the Word of God is that it's applicable to all of us. So while I'm going to say some things to dads and specifically address dads, listen, I promise you, if you will lean in, if you're a mom or you're single or you're a grandparent or a kid, whatever, if you will lean into the Word of God, you're going to see yourself in Scripture. And I know, or my prayer is, uh, that it ministers to you. But the message today is dads don't always get it right. Oh, okay, so you are awake. We are getting some amens early as I announced the title of the message. Yeah, dads, we don't, always, we don't always get it right. And what's funny about God's word is that oftentimes we like to immortalize the people that we read about in scripture, like we put them on a pedestal and imagine that their life is perfect or it's somehow better or easier than ours. Um, when that's just not the case. The, the scripture is full of stories about amazing people and their stories of, of God's work in their life. But apart from Jesus, these are ordinary people. These are regular people like you and me. And one of the things that I, I love about uh, God's word is that it does not hide the problems of his people. As a matter of fact, it goes sometimes into great detail about how bad they mess things up uh, I think for our benefit, it's written so that we can relate to it and see God's redemptive work in these everyday people uh, just like you and me. So we're gonna look at some dads who didn't always get it right. Would you, would you join me as we open in, in prayer? Father, we love you. Thank you for the opportunity to study your word. Thank you for uh, speaking to us and, and, and writing these things down through your servants so many years ago that still lead, govern disciple, nurture our hearts and our families and, and our dads, I pray today. Uh, we yield ourselves to you and Holy Spirit, do what only you can do in us to change us and, and make us the men and women that you're calling us to be. I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. So we're gonna look at three ways that dads don't get it right. The first one is dads don't always get it right in the way that we lead our families. Don't say amen yet. The first dad that we're gonna look at is a priest named Eli. And this is early in the Old Testament, um, before the temple was built. This is uh, when Israel had what, what God had prescribed for them to build something called a tabernacle. It's a portable place of worship. Uh, and it's set up at this time in a town called Shiloh. And people would come to Shiloh, the Israelites would come to Shiloh to, to worship and to, and to offer sacrifices. So the high priest Eli had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and they were also serving in the tabernacle as priests alongside their dead. These were not good sons at all. These were not good men. These were not good priests. The, the, the Bible gives them a, a, a scathing review. We're going to look at uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2, starting in, in verse 12. And this is, this is what the recorder at the, at the, at the uh, unction of the Holy Spirit wrote about Hophni and, and, and Phinehas. Eli's sons were scoundrels. 
I didn't make that up. That's written in your Bibles. They had no regard for the Lord. Now, it was the practice of the priests that whenever any of the people offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come and with a three-pronged fork in his hand while the meat was being boiled and would plunge the fork into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. Whatever the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the person who was sacrificing, Give me or give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, only raw. And if the person said to him, Let the fat be burned first and then take whatever you want, the servant would answer, No, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. Verse 17. The sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. So the priests, according to God's law, were entitled to a portion of, of, of the offerings for their service or for their sustenance of them and their families, their livelihood as priests. However, according to God's law, the instructions that he had given, they could not take any part of the sacrificed animal until it first had been offered before the Lord as a sacrifice, especially two key parts, the blood and the fat that had to be given to, to the Lord. And the people knew this. That's why they, you saw in the text, they would say, hey, at least wait for, for, for the fat to be burned off. But, and Hophni and Phinehas knew this, but they were selfishly showing contempt for God's law and contempt for their role as priests. So their father, Eli, is the high priest of the tabernacle. He hears, he starts getting reports from the people of what his sons are doing, what they're like. And it wasn't just stealing meat. Drop down to uh, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 22. Now, Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, the report I hear spreading among the Lord's people is not good. If one person sins against another, God may mediate for the offender. But if anyone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for them? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. How many of you have kids? All right, when our babies make messes and they're little, right? They're little babies. We think it's cute, don't we? So cute. They make their first poo-poo and like we take pictures of it. And don't act like you didn't do that. I got my babies over here on the, on the front row, most of them. And I remember uh, there was a, 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 an afternoon where Stacy screams and I go into the other room and she was cleaning one of the children, Maddie, our oldest. And in cleaning, sometimes you get a secondary response from the child <laughs> and it was all over Stacy, her face, her shirt, our couch, everything. And you know what I did? I went and grabbed a camera. <laughs> True story? True story, yeah. But listen, as our babies grow up, their messes get a little bit worse, don't they? They start to stink a little bit more. Um, and by the time that they get to be young men, young women, sometimes we find what we have on our hands is, is young men and young women who aren't honoring God. And they aren't honoring the Lord. And they aren't honoring us or, 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 or our family. And dads, I'm going to speak to you for a moment. When it comes to leadership in your family, passivity only breeds more and more problems. These two sons that Eli had were vile 
And not only were they vile at home, they were vile in the house of the Lord. They were vile in the tabernacle. And everyone who interacted with these two boys or their servants, like the text said, they walked away with a bad taste in their mouth about worship, about the priesthood, about God's command to sacrifices, and maybe even about the Lord himself. Therefore, God was not going to allow this to go on very long that these guys served as priests. So we read together where Eli came to rebuke his sons, but he was unsuccessful in correcting them. But he was not just their dad, he was the high priest, and he had the ability and the control over what happened in the tabernacle and who served in what role. He, he had the ability to remove them from their duties, yet he didn't. Despite their corruption, despite him knowing what they were doing with the women who served at the entrance and how they were treating all of the sacrifices with contempt, he left them in place to dishonor the people of Israel, to dishonor the sacrifice, the tabernacle, and to dishonor the Lord. So God sends a prophet, and we're gonna read about that down in verse 27 of, of 1 Samuel chapter two, and he gives this message to Eli. It says, now a man of God came to Eli and said to him, this is what the Lord says. Did I not clearly reveal myself to your ancestors' family when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your ancestor out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your ancestors' family all the food offerings presented by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offerings that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me? by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people, Israel. Did you hear Eli's failure in verse 29? God said, why do you honor your sons more than you honor me? And the prophet went on to tell Eli that God was going to bring judgment, that both of his sons in the very near future would die in the same day, and that Eli and all of his kin, all of his relatives would be cut off from serving the Lord as priests forever. Two chapters later in 1 Samuel, it happens. Not only do both of his sons die, Eli dies, and for the first time ever, the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of God's presence that they had with them, that, carried, uh, that they carried through the, through the wilderness and they had there in the tabernacle, it's lost in battle to the Philistine army. Dads, moms, grandparents, aunts and uncles, listen, honor God First, honor God above your children. God has entrusted our kids to us that we might lead them. My encouragement to you from, from Eli's life is to, to teach, to train, to correct, to lead them in, in righteousness and when appropriate, apply the necessary consequences to their actions. Eli should have done it and dads and moms, we should do it too. You, 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 I'm not getting any amens now. I know it's not popular to parent your kids this way anymore. Uh, we did, and thank God they're on the front row. Uh, listen, you may not be popular with your kids. You may not be popular with your kids' friends. But the last time I checked, God had not commissioned me or tasked me to win the popularity contest at Lasseter High School. He... He has called you, if you're a mom and dad, he has called you and he's called folks like me to raise up God followers, people that wanna honor him, people that wanna know Christ, people that wanna live in his blessing and under the redemptive power of, of what Jesus did for us at the cross. That is our primary goal as parents is to raise them to know and to honor God. 
You may not be popular, but that is, that is what he has called you to do. Now, let me say this too, because heavy-handedness probably didn't work for you when you were growing up either. If your parents had a heavy hand with you and shouted all the time and things. So listen, if that didn't work for you, it's probably not gonna work in the way you treat your kids too. So heavy-handedness is not the answer. I'm not saying go home and start whipping the kids. Any amens from the, our, our students? <laughs> a few, a few. But, but here, let me offer you an alternative. Love your children according to the word of God. Love them through prayer. Love them through home Bible study. Love them in, in talking about their day in light of God's word and helping them to apply the truths and the principles of God's word. And, and here's another unpopular but very novel idea maybe you've never heard of. Take the phone out of their hands. Thank you. One amen. Put the iPad away. Turn the PS5 off and turn off the Nintendo. And here's a novel one. Turn the TV off for yourselves, not just for them, but for yourselves. Spend time with your children. And here's the kicker, get to know them and let them get to know you. Find out what their lives are like and what they're going through and then help them to appropriate and find the principles and the truths about God and faith in him so that they can walk in this life and be raised to be godly young men and women. God has called us to do that. And if we'll lean into his word in parenting, lead into the good examples in scripture in parenting and lead by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will succeed in leading our families well. But passivity, guys, dads, passivity will only lead to bigger problems in, in, in the way you lead your family. All right, the next way that dads blow it. Dads, we don't always get it right when we try to fix everything. Any, any moms or kids want to say amen to that? Yeah. Any, any fixers out there like me? No, you chickens, you're not even going to raise your hand. Five of you raised your hand. Listen, my dad was a diesel mechanic, and he had a knack for just, just fixing things, repairing things. That may be where I got it from, but I believe that I have held our house together and put most of our cars back on the road through watching endless hours of YouTube and spending a few bucks at Home Depot and, and advanced auto parts. Anybody else do that? Yeah, okay, now you're not so chicken anymore. You know where I'm going. Thank you. What's great about the scripture is there's people just like us. Now, they didn't have YouTube, but they took matters into their own hands, sometimes in, in a not so good way. And the next dad that we're gonna look at is Abraham. Or in this case, in our text, his name hasn't been changed yet by God. He's still called Abram. And Abram is actually messing up his family before he has kids. He's, he's a wreck. When God first called Abram, God told him, he said, Abram, I'm gonna make you into a great nation. And so some time passes, Abraham's walking in obedience to God, but he still has no heirs, no children. And in Genesis 15, God reiterates the covenant with Abraham, or with Abram again. We'll pick it up in Genesis 15, verse four. Then the word of the Lord came to him, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited, credited it to him as righteousness. So Abram spoke with God as somebody who would speak to his friend and God personally tells him, Abram, I'm, I'm gonna give you a son. I'm gonna give you an heir. I'm gonna make him and you into a great nation with descendants too numerous to count. But Abraham was one of those guys like me who liked to take matters into his own hands. And his wife, same way. 
Now, let me give you some Father's Day advice. All the dads, all the men in the room, lean in. Take notes if you want to. There are some passages in Scripture, when read, you do not need to say amen. <laughs> this is probably the one time in the, in the sermon I'm gonna tell you not to respond to the word of God if you're a man in the room saying amen. It will end your Father's Day abruptly. <laughs> Genesis uh, chapter 16, verses one through four. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. And when she knew she was pregnant, she, Hagar, began to despise her mistress, Sarai. Was this a terrible idea or what? How could they not see, I mean, that this was going to cause big problems? God had spoken to Abraham like a man speaks to his friend, said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. But they decided to take matters into their own hands and that they were going to fix it for themselves. And it's not just dads. I think it's most of us in the room. Oftentimes, we try to do the same thing, don't we? We try to be the answer or the solution to our own problems. We get tired of waiting on God or sometimes we think, well, he's forgotten about us or he's left it in, in my hands. I'll, I'll just do something about it. Listen, that's not a, a, a terrible uh, approach for home repair or car repair. I have this motto that I, I don't like to give mo good money to somebody to do a job that I can figure out how to do for myself. However, if you came to our house today, you would see the scars of where I am not the best drywaller <laughs> You would see the scars in our home that I am not the best painter and I'm an okay electrician. And then last week, Stacy had me put a, uh, a new faucet in the kids' uh, bathroom. So I'm a, I'm a mediocre plumber too. But you would look around our house and you could see the scars of the damage that is left from me taking matters into my own hands when it comes to home repair. That's one price to pay, right? Has anybody ever had a home repair backfire on you? Yeah, it costs you infinitely more, doesn't it? in time and in money. But we're not talking about home repair on our houses or auto repair on our cars. We're talking about family this morning. And when we take matters into our own hands, it can leave us with a much, much higher price to pay. And, and the example of Abram and his wife, his family, is a great example of this. Why? Because God was faithful to his word. God kept his promise. Sarai did conceive a son. She gave birth to this son. And it, there was so much contention between Sarah and, and, and Hagar and Ishmael and, or Isaac and Ishmael that it, it, it rose to the place where Abraham finally has to send Hagar and Ishmael away from his family. And we see in, in, in Scripture this, this broken family and a son without his father, all because they took matters into their own hands, but it didn't stop there. They are rival nations. Now there's not just one nation that comes from Abraham, like the covenant promise said, but now there's two nations that come from Abraham, and they are rivals all throughout Scripture, and, and, and historians would say even to this day, they are rivals of one another in, in the Middle East. It is, a, it is a high price to pay when we take matters into our own hands in, in, the, for, in the case of our family when it comes to not believing or trusting and the promises of God. And so dads in the room, learn the lesson of Abraham this morning. Trust in God. It does not absolve us of our responsibility to, to lead our families and to, and to lead them according to his word and to be active and not passive in our leadership. But at the end of the day, we have to trust God with the results. 
We have specific roles that we, he's called us to play as, as dads and, and as moms as well. But if we're going to live a life of faith in, 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 G, in following Jesus, it is going to be living a life of faith for our families as well. That is especially true as our, uh, when it comes to our family relationships and our kids get older. And this one, uh, I'm having a harder time with now just to kind of air my dirty laundry. We've got uh, Maddie here on the front row. She and William got married last year. Ian's 21. Aubrey's up serving in middle school. She's 19. And they're starting to be, or, or they have been, I'll, I'll correct myself, adults for a little while now. And dads, we have a hard time letting go of the control and the fixing things, don't we? But the older they get, the more and more we have to entrust them to God. We have to entrust that, that God is going to keep his promises. We have to figure out where does my responsibility stop and where do I need to trust God with their lives, with their well-being, with their, with their livelihood, with their faith. Dads, we can't fix it all the time. And oftentimes we get it wrong when we try to. That brings me to the, the third example is dads, we don't always get it right with the example that we set. And this is not just true for dads. This is true for everybody in the room we don't get it right all the time in the way we set an example for others. And, and, and there are no perfect people in the room. But when we do mess up, when we do error, it can damage our credibility. It can hurt our witness. If you're trying to witness to folks at work and you mess up at work, it can hurt your credibility with, with, your, with your coworkers. It can work your, hurt your credibility with your friends. And at home, it definitely can hurt your credibility with your spouse and, 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 and with your children. The third dad we're going to look at for this is Noah. Uh, Genesis 6 tells us that wickedness was on the rise all over the earth. But here's the account of Noah, verses 9 and 10. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. That's a great start to Noah's life. He sounds like a, a godly dad. He is. He's a, he's a great example. He's, he's the exemplary example of everybody on the face of the earth at the time that Gen, of Genesis 6. Pretty cool. But Noah was tasked just a few verses later with doing something that is monumental. It's, it's life-changing, life-saving, and it's probably the event that frames us in, uh, frames Noah in our eyes of why we're still talking about him today. And it's definitely the event that, that framed up what Noah's sons thought about him. Verse 12, God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people. For the earth is filled with violence because of them, and I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth, so make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Now, if we were to continue in the text, God gives detailed plans and instructions, uh, blueprints, if you will, on how to construct the ark, what to make it out of, how to fashion the rooms, how to waterproof it. God goes into all these, these details with Noah. But a few verses later in the next chapter, here, here's the part that, that amazes me about, about what Noah did. Uh, Genesis chapter 7, verse 6 and 7. Now, Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Now, earlier in the Genesis text, it said that Noah was 500 years old when he and his wife had their three boys. So here now he's 600 years old. Historians and theologians have looked at the text and thought about the timeline and, and, and the actual size and scale of the ark, and they have estimated that on the very low end, it took at least 20 years for Noah and his boys and their families to construct the ark. 
Some, some historians and theologians say probably more like 70 years that it took them to construct this ark. I can't get my kids to work with me for 70 minutes. Now, can you imagine working with your dad on a 20-year construction project or a 50-year or a 70-year construction project? These boys had to be ridiculed, as Noah was, for two reasons. Number one, they were the only people on the face of the earth that were trying to be righteous before the Lord. And number two, they're building a boat probably in the middle of a field, not near a lake, not near an ocean. And everybody's wondering, what in the world are you doing? It probably looked like the Ark Encounter up in Kentucky or, or, or whatever, wherever that is. People are wondering, what is going on here? Why are you building this boat? And I'm sure they heaped ridicule on these guys over and over and over, year after year after year as they trusted their dad. All the ridicule stopped when? When it started to rain, right? Then the ridicule stopped. Now, it would be so cool if the story of Noah ended right there, right? They all get into the, the boat and the flood comes and they're preserved and they're saved to be nice if it ended right there. But that didn't happen. The story of Noah continues. And again, the word of God highlights these mistakes that dad said. It highlights guys who didn't get it right like we do so that we can benefit from it. And, and look in Genesis chapter 9, verses 18 through 23. The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered all over the whole earth. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside of his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked backward and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so they would not see their father naked. And Noah messed up. And what hurts is that his son Ham witnessed that he saw his father's sin. Now Ham was corrupted in heart and he went outside and he exposed what their dad had done to his, to his other brothers and Shem and Japheth tried to, to, to honor their dad and they, they took a garment, as you, as you heard just a moment ago, they covered their dad's shame. But dads, listen, often our biggest mistakes are in front of our families, aren't they? I hear groans. Often our biggest mistakes are among the people that we love the most. And I don't know what it is if it's just that, that, that we, we keep our guard up all day long and then we get home, we just kind of let it all hang out or we feel like we don't have to be as, 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 as together as when we're outside, we get home and we just relax a little bit. But oftentimes, the people that we love the most pay the dearest price for our mistakes. And that hurts. Noah's a great example of this. And, and, and dads, I've been in your shoes I know what that feels like. Listen, everybody in this room knows what it feels like to make such a colossal mistake, to, to mess up so bad that you feel that pit in your gut and you think, I can never face these people again or I've lost all credibility with this crowd or this group or my family. I don't know what I'm gonna do. What did Noah have going for him? How would he face his boys again? What Noah had was a life of faithfulness and righteousness before God. Noah had taught his sons from the time that they were born and through all that construction that we are a family who trusts God. We are a family that, that strives to, to, to live righteously before him. Was Noah's mistake bad? Absolutely, it was. Did he lose credibility? Probably so, at least with Ham. 
but it did not erase his example, his lifelong example of being faithful and following God. His boys saw that. How do we know that? Because at least two of Noah's boys go on to continue to serve the Lord. They preserved the story and they handed it down to their children and their grandchildren and the next generation so that people would understand what God had done through their dad and how life was preserved on the earth. Noah's make, mistake was, was, was big, but there's, but there's hope in that because it doesn't erase a life of faithfulness. And the same hope is true for us this morning. There are some folks probably in this room or maybe watching online that, 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 that maybe even dad specifically, you've messed up in front of your kids. You've messed up in front of your wife. And one of the things the enemy would love to do is make you think you're done, is to make you think that you've lost your influence. That's not true. One mistake or a series of mistakes cannot drown out a life of faithfulness unless you allow it to. Unless you give that mistake or those series of mistakes the power to sideline you, it cannot do it. Here's what I want to encourage you, dads. Get up. If you've made a mistake, get up. Keep fighting for your family. Keep pursuing a life of faithfulness before your children and before your spouse. Don't sit on the sidelines and think that you have lost all credibility. Don't give the enemy that power uh, that your past is going to dictate your future. Every dad, and listen, probably every person in this room wants to win for their family. Not just at board games, that's, that's gonna happen later at our house and I'll probably win. But you wanna win for your family. Talking smack ahead of time, pregame in a little bit. But every dad, right, every man, you wanna win for your family. And that win is different but similar uh, for, for, for most of us. If you've been unemployed or underemployed and you land that job, Man, you cannot wait to tell your wife. You cannot wait to share it with your family. You've been hustling, you've been working hard and you get a promotion or you get a raise and you start dreaming of all the ways that's gonna benefit your kids. You start thinking about the, the trip that you could take or the college that you can pay for, or the, the car that you might be able to afford to bless your family or, to, or to, to, to raise your standard of life. Every dad feels that. For some of us, it's leading your kids to Christ walking them across the finish line of faith in prayer. That's a win. Listen, for others in the room, the, the win for your family, it might be a year of being clean, sobriety, not depending on a substance to get through the day. Whatever that win is, guys, we want them. Dads are geared for that. And you know what? We love the everyday wins, don't we? I love date night. I love taking Stacy out, just me and her, and talking, eating somewhere that's probably too expensive to take the kids. I love date night. I love family dinner around our table. I love what we did last night. We took the boys to get ice cream. We take everybody out and you just see the smiles on their face at, at Brewster's. Dads, don't we live for those moments? Moms, don't we live for those moments? Listen, the pursuit of righteousness, the pursuit of doing what is right with our families, it is worth the price that we have to pay to fight for it, to fight for those moments, to fight to lead our families to know God. That's what he's called us to do. That's who he's called us to be, dads and, and moms. Think about Noah's boys. After all those years of construction, the boat's done, animals are gathering. Think about all the ridicule that they suffered. Do you think when it started to rain that they're thinking about all the ridicule that they suffered? Of course not. You know what they were thinking at that moment as the waters began to rise around the ark? 
I thank God for my dad and his life of faithfulness. Because my dad was stubborn, because my dad wouldn't move off of what he said, God spoke this to me. We are alive, our wives are in this boat, and we are gonna be saved because my dad was faithful to the Lord. That's what's running through their minds. Dad's in the room, let me tell you something. Rain is coming. Floods are coming against your kids. And you know what they need to be able to look back and see? A dad and a mom and grandparents and family that surrounded them and loved them enough to fight for righteousness, to fight for faithfulness, to fight to raise them the right way, to know who Jesus is, to know the love of God. That's what's gonna get them through the floods of their life. That's what's gonna get them through the rains of their life. They wanna look back and see a life of faithfulness. Listen, you might be a dad... You might be a dad who has not lived a life of faithfulness to this point. And if you can learn something from Noah, if you can learn something from these three dads, let today be a day that you put a stake in the ground and to say, from this point forward, I'm living a life of faithfulness. I'm choosing to lead my family. I'm not gonna try to fix it all. I'm gonna trust God. I'm choosing to lead my family. Listen, if you're, if you're a family that doesn't have a dad, I, we lost my dad about 12 years ago. Maybe you're divorced. There is good news in the word of God. It says that he is a father to the fatherless and a husband to the widow. You've got the opportunity to, to, to tie into the greatest dad in the world, God, our heavenly father. As Father's Day can be painful for, for some people, but realize who you have access to. God, our heavenly Father. Dads in this room, do not stop fighting for family. Do not let mistakes in the past or a series of mistakes in the past define the future or to steal you from a life of faithfulness before your wife and before your kids. Here's what I know. Dads are worth redeeming. Come on, say amen to that. Dads are worth redeeming. God loves dads. Our world needs dads. Our families need dads. Here's the second thing I know. Families are worth fighting for. So dad, if you've been on the ropes and you've been down and you've come to the right place today, there is nothing but grace and forgiveness in this place and in the word of God. Get up and fight for your family. Listen, if you need to ask for forgiveness and you're here with your spouse or your kids today, do that. One of the greatest spiritual acts that you might do today is not coming forward for prayer in just a moment. It's talking to your spouse and saying, I'm sorry. It's saying, today, baby, we're making a brand new start in Jesus, a brand new way, and then we're gonna lead our family. If it's necessary, give forgiveness. You want forgiveness? Give forgiveness, but do not stop fighting for your family. Step one for all of us. Every single one of us, dads, moms, kids, you name it, is to admit where the help comes from a bit where that redemption comes from. It comes from Jesus. He's the one that takes the past, mitigates it, does away with it, throws our sins as far as the east is from the west and gives us a brand new start in him. Would you bow your heads here this morning? I wanna give us an opportunity to respond to the word of God. If you're here in this room or maybe you're watching online right now and you need a brand new start, you need a fresh start in Jesus, Maybe you've drifted from walking with him. Maybe you've never, never made a decision to walk with him before, but you would say today, Pastor Brett, I need to commit my life to Christ. 
I need the forgiveness that he's offering so that I can be forgiven by my family and so that I can then be a person who offers forgiveness to those who've hurt me. I want a brand new start. You would just simply pray something like this. It's simple that we pray and believe. We pray that Jesus, you, you are Lord. You are who your word says you are. And I want you to be the Lord and leader of my life. We believe that in our hearts and we pray those words sincerely. The scripture says in Romans chapter 10, we are saved. We are part of the family of God. We've got that fresh start that we've been looking for. If that's you, if that describes you, you need that brand new start in Jesus this morning. Would you just lift your hand? No one's looking around except me and our ministry team. Yes, amen. I wanna pray for you this week. I see you. Keep them up for just a moment. Just a moment. Thank you. Thank you. You can put them down. Father, I thank you for changed lives in this room. I thank you for people that are responding to your word. Accept your redemption and to be brand new men, brand new women from this point forward. Church, can we just pray this together as we do many weeks here? Would you just say, Jesus, I give you my life. One more time, Jesus, I give you my life. God, we thank you. Thank you for the way that you love us and accept us as, as the heavenly father, as our redeemer. God, I pray for the rest of the folks in this room this morning as well. Holy Spirit, you've been dealing with hearts, saying things that I can't say, bringing up memories that I don't know about. Lord, I know just in preparing for this message, you read my mail. You got into my heart. You convicted me. And God, I pray if that's true for your people, that you would hear our prayers in just a moment. Church, I'm gonna invite you to stand with me. I know it's Father's Day. We've got a reservation at a restaurant. You might too. But I wanna give us an opportunity to respond. I'm gonna ask our prayer team to go ahead and come. Elders, hope ministers get in place here at the front of the, the stage. Dads, moms, couples, if it's appropriate and you want to come together. If you're somebody who says, look, we're, we're, we're putting a stake in the ground. Today's a brand new day for our family. We're going to lead, not passively and not too aggressively, but according to the word of God and the spirit of God. I want you to come. I want you to pray with somebody the prayer of faith that says today's a brand new day for us and for our family. If you're somebody who tries to fix it and you've got control issues, I want you to come forward and pray with somebody that you just begin to trust God. And if you're somebody who thinks that you've blown it, and that you can't get credibility back. Listen, there is hope in Jesus Christ for not just you and salvation. There's hope for your family. Jesus, time and time again, has put families together here in this church, and he can do it again for you. If you're somebody that doesn't want your past to dictate and rob you of your future, come forward today and pray with one of these counselors. As we sing this worship song, you come. Let's sing it together today. 
Just the doorway into resurrection life. 
Jesus, that is our prayer this morning, that you'd be magnified in us, magnified in our families, magnified in this faith family we call the church. We want you to be seen in us. God, equip dads, equip moms and grandparents to lead, to love, to not try to fix everything, but to trust you, God, and to, and to choose a life of faithfulness from this point forward that you would be magnified, that our kids would know you, God, that they would follow you the way that we're following you, or maybe even in greater and deeper ways, God. We want more for our kids even than we have today. So Jesus, pour out your spirit in our families. Pour out your spirit in our homes and in this place we call Mount Perrin North. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you're new to Pentecostal churches, what happens here from time to time is what we read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14. Paul specifically talks about the Holy Spirit that gives gifts to churches to bring a message often in an unknown tongue and then often a response or an interpretation of that tongue that gives the church knowledge of what God is wanting to say. And that message, if you couldn't hear it from this side of the room or online, was to embrace him. Embrace him, acknowledge his presence, that he's here and that he loves us. He's always gonna be there for us. Let's just continue in prayer, Jesus. Thank you. You're not an interruption. You're the reason we came. So we honor you and we acknowledge that you're here. We acknowledge that we have looked into your word and maybe more importantly, your word has looked into us. We want you in our lives, oh Lord. We want you in our homes. We need you. Men and women here, God, desperate for you. A world, a community around us, desperate for you. So we embrace you, we embrace your love. Let it not just change us, but change the world through us that they would learn and know about you. We give you praise today, oh Lord. Amen and amen, amen.
Hey, would you join me in celebrating six people give their lives to Jesus today? Amen. Amen. Awesome. Praise you, God. Amen. Listen, when we uh, conclude this service in just a moment, I'm going to go over to our kids' door. The reason I'm going over there is I'm going to try to greet as many of my VBS friends that I made this week. We had nearly 300, I think it's 297 kids on campus for VBS this week. It was awesome. We had... We had your kids and community camps and our, our, our community camp, our community kids and sports camp kids all in here. And there were 89 decisions for Jesus this week at VBS. Yeah. Pretty cool. And how I know this sermon was good is that almost one third of those kids were your heathens and they got saved this week. So you've got some work to do when you get, oh, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Listen. We've got a special treats for you, Dad, uh, as you leave, or for everybody, really, as you leave uh, the either main entrance or kids' uh, lobby entrance. Uh, there's pops for pops. So we've got popsicles for everybody out there. So go by and get your popsicle. If you're new to North or maybe you made a decision to follow him today, hey, our grow team is gonna be down here. We'd love to help you in taking next steps in that decision to follow Jesus. And out in our atrium, there's all kinds of information about small groups and uh, 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 places to serve in the church. Go out there and talk to somebody about not doing life alone. Own, but finding like maybe John and Monica Rogers, they lead a, a, a marriage and a, and a parenting class every Sunday morning. Don't walk through this parenting journey alone. Get connected with other people in one of our life groups and, uh, and watch what God does in, in your life and in your family. All right, allow me the privilege to bless you before we go. Oh, and come back next week. Pastor Kirk is gonna continue in the Proverbs series. It's gonna be awesome, 945 or 1115. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you, to be gracious unto you and grant you peace in Jesus' name. Let's give our response from Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. God bless you. Happy Father's Day. Love you. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to learn more about North, be sure to check out our website at mountparanorth.com. If you have any questions, you can email us at info at or give us a call at 770-578-9081. And if you're in the Marietta, Georgia area, we'd love to have you join us for worship next Sunday at 945 or 1115 a.m. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.